Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and today we're adding another installment to our series entitled Why. We've been talking about why do we trust the Bible and why do bad things happen in our world, which is really relevant this week, and we'll be mentioning some of those points again. But uh, And uh, today we're talking about, hey, why should I care? And we planned this series uh, months ago, and when we picked these topics, this is a whole thing of, hey, why should I care about others when others have needs? i got enough problems in my own life. And yet this last week when we saw a disaster unfold in Texas that was just of unbelievable proportions, it really uh, brought this home. And so today inside your bulletin you will find an outline entitled, Why Should I Care? And I want to give us a defense for this of why is it that Christians run toward the problems? Um, you have organizations like Samaritan's Purse. You have all sorts of Christian relief agencies and aid agencies out there working alongside the Red Cross, working alongside FEMA. Um, all sorts of uh, resources are flowing in. Christians literally from all over the world care about this and care about uh, disasters and relief efforts happening elsewhere in the world too. And why do we do that? And is it the right thing to do? Well, today I want to give you a, a good biblical answer for that. Why do Christians respond? over and over again, and why should we? And so today, um, I hope if you need a pen, you'll raise your hand, take some notes on this. It's important that we have a ready answer for the hope we believe, and um, this is important today because we do care, and the Lord wants us to. Let me have a word of prayer, and we'll uh, answer this question. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here to talk about some reasons for our faith and why it's important that we respond when there are tragedies in the world, why it's, why it's important that we respond when there's a tragedy next door. And so, Lord, uh, why do we care for others? And why is that such an important thing to you? I pray that today you'll speak, move me out of the way, show us some things from your word uh, that will guide us in how to live out our faith. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So uh, point A, the first answer that I'd give on this is why should I care is, well, we love and care for others because God first loved us. Um, scripture tells us this, 1 John 4:19, we love each other because he loved us first. Would you read that out loud with me, please? We love each other because he loved us first. One more time. We love each other because he loved us first. In Romans 5, Paul talks about this. He says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we're still sinners. And so the biggest reason why should I care for others is because God loved me first. If that's good news this morning, would you say amen? Now think about this. And this is why we love and care for others. Because Jesus came into the world to meet my ultimate need. The ultimate need all of us have is redemption from sin. Apart from Christ... Our sins are not forgiven. Apart from Christ, we will suffer eternal punishment in hell. I mean, the scripture is very clear about this. And Jesus came to meet the ultimate need. And he did it by sacrificing himself. And he did it not because we deserved it, because we needed it. Mm. Amazing love and amazing grace. So the first answer is we love and care for others because God loved us first. A second answer is this, we love and care for others because Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Jesus commands us to love our neighbors. And the next question is, well, 
how big is my neighborhood? Okay. <laughs> I mean, now, John, let's not get carried away on this. I mean, who's my neighbor? If you've ever wondered, hey, what's the uh, limitation on that? Well, that was what was going on in Luke 10. One day, an expert in the religious law, somebody who had a great handle on the entire teaching of the Old Testament, came up to Jesus to test him. And uh, he asked him a difficult question. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say, the Old Testament? How do you read it? And the man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Putting together some teachings from Deuteronomy and Leviticus there. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Well, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, well, and who is my neighbor? I mean, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. How many neighbors are in that circle? And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead by the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them, and then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I want to go straight to the next point here under there. Our neighbors include people of all races, language, and nationalities, and people that we don't like. I mean, Jesus stretched the definition of neighbor way to the breaking point for the man who's asking the question. To us, it doesn't mean anything to say it was a Samaritan. But you have to understand that Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. They regarded Samaritans as people involved in a cult, uh, people who had intermarried with and defiled the Jewish race by marrying pagans. And they looked at these people literally uh, with contempt. They wouldn't even talk to them. The area uh, where the man was traveling uh, was just a difficult road. There were lots of robbers. It was dangerous to travel anytime, and it was so shocking that there was a priest and a Levite. This would have been a pastor and a church staff person, basically. Uh, and they both wouldn't help the man who'd been beaten up because they were probably afraid of getting beaten themselves or getting robbed if they hung around. But the one guy who stopped to help him was this guy of mixed racial nationality, of somebody with the wrong. Uh, religious belief, somebody that a, a good, God-fearing Jew would have had nothing to do with. And Jesus said, yeah, that guy was the one who loved his neighbor because he had pity on him and helped him. And so our neighbors include people of all races, languages, nationalities, even people we don't like. Jesus talked about this elsewhere in Matthew 5. He said, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, and that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
I lived in Houston for four years. I have a number of friends who still live there. And one of the things that was so interesting, corresponding with people um, over Facebook and uh, other social media outlets was this, is that they said, you know, when the rescue boats went out, people were just pulling people from their homes, from rooftops and things. It didn't make any difference where it, what language you spoke. didn't matter the color of your skin, whether you were old or young, male or female. People just went and rescued people because they needed help. And said it was a real breath of fresh air. Maybe you felt that way too as you watched all those rescue efforts going on in Houston and you prayed for people there. It was a nice break from all the division we've had in our country to finally see people who are out reaching out to people just because they needed help. And not pointing out how different we are, but pointing out that can help you because you have a need. My goodness, I love that. And it was a real reflection of what Jesus was talking about. This was a person in need. The Samaritan saw a man on the side of the road, and he helped him, bandaged him up, put him on his donkey. It's like putting him in your car. Took him to a hotel so he could rest and recover. And said, here, put it on my credit card if it runs long, if it runs over what I've paid. My goodness, I mean, that's a true neighbor. And the reason we would do that is because that's what Jesus did for us. He, he gave everything for us. He gave his life for a bunch of filthy, rotten sinners like us. He gave his life for a filthy, rotten sinner like John Schmidt. You can quote that. Did you know Jesus gave his life for a filthy, rotten sinner like John Schmidt? People go, ooh, that's amazing. Okay, that would be amazing. He did it for you too. And Jesus says, that's the kind of love God has. And if you love only the people that you like, if you love only the people that are already your friends... Well, there's honor among thieves. That's nothing to write home about. But why wouldn't you care for people just because they need care? And that brings us to the next point. If you flip open your outline, loving my neighbor involves two things, seeing what needs to be done and doing what needs to be done. I need to see and I need to do. If I see something, then I need to say something, is what we say if there's a, you know, that's in the airports now. If, hey, if you see something, say something, right? Well, if there's a need, if you see something, do something. That's what it means to put our faith into action. When Jesus was uh, explaining what it would be like at the judgment day at the end of the world, he said it's like, um, he drew a parallel of a story that, uh, again, if we don't grow up in agricultural backgrounds, similar to the New Testament days, it kind of gets lost on us, but uh, when shepherds were out grazing their livestock, the sheep and the goats grazed together. But when it comes time to shear the sheep, they obviously have to separate the sheep from the goats. Two different products here. And so the sheep were separated in one pen and the goats to the other. And Jesus said that's the way it's going to be at the end of history. When the Son of Man comes, this is Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he'll separate people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry. Listen to this. These are the characteristics of the people who truly understand what it means to love your neighbor. Um, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? 
When did we ever see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. I mean, at the end of history, Jesus says he's going to separate the pretenders from the people who really want to follow him. There are pretenders. I mean, it's pretty easy to say, hey, I love God, but then do nothing about it. And that's the next point in your outline here, too. We're only kidding ourselves if we say we love God without loving others. John said that. He said, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. You know, people sometimes say the Bible is so ambiguous, you can make it say whatever you want. Well, try making that say something else, okay? If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he's given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now look, I mean, one of the things that really stood out to me is there's a fella who owns a furniture store in Houston called Gallery Furniture. Some of you heard about this. His name's Jim McInvale. Uh, he goes by the name Mattress Mac, okay? If you own furniture stores, it's good to have a name like Mattress Mac, okay? He sells high-end furniture, I mean, really expensive stuff. And he has these amazing showrooms at different places around Houston. Well, last Sunday, a week ago, when, he, when the waters were rising and there were people trapped on bridges and other things like this, he just uh, called his staff they were there at their, who were there at their showrooms. He said, get in if you can. We're going to open up all our showrooms. He, he said, we have all these chairs and all these beds and all these tables. Um, we're already set up to take in people. And so they just opened their showrooms and there's giant warehouses behind their showrooms. And they invited people to come in, no matter who they were. And he sent out a thing on social media saying, if you are thirsty, if you are hungry, if you are trapped, you don't have a place to go, come to one of our showrooms. We'll feed you. We'll give you something to drink. We'll give you a place to sleep. And they showed these people coming in. They had left their homes maybe with a garbage sack full of stuff, and they were coming in there completely bewildered. And they interviewed people and said, this is the most amazing thing. We're, we're sitting here, and they were just, they had these showrooms, people on all the beds and all the furniture and stuff, and then in the warehouses, they pulled mattresses off the rack, and they found blankets and stuff, and they made it into a place where people could stay. There was a restaurant nearby that people were trapped. They couldn't get out, so they stayed up all night baking bread for um, rescue workers. They just stayed up all night and made, filled the whole place full of baked goods and took it out to firemen and took it out to, to fire stations, some of them by boat, just to get the food there because the firemen weren't going home either. I mean, you saw action after action where they said, this guy owns a furniture store. Hey, these people need a place to stay. They even sent out their furniture trucks. Some of them have some really high clearance, and they just opened the back and said, get in. They pulled people off of overpasses and brought them in. They were stranded on top of an overpass. And they asked the guy, why'd you do it? He said, well, I was always raised to value people more than profits, and this is my chance to show it. He owns a furniture store. And became a hub for rescue work. Amazing. Mattress Mac. And all of a sudden... And people, and people tried to, to make him out to be a hero, and he even commented on that. He said, I'm no hero. I just saw a need, and I did something about it. Well, that's, this is what Jesus is telling us. Hey, this is how you live out your faith. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time here this morning, talking about, hey, well, then what can we do? Four things we can do. And I just want to hit these with you this morning. These are things that we talk about over and over again, but it's terribly important we get this right. First of all, we can become aware. 
Now, it helps if the entire media of the world is filming your problem, okay? Like Houston and uh, Beaumont and some other places in southeast Texas and Corpus Christi. I mean, when Hurricane Harvey hit there, the attention of the whole world was on it. We were all aware, and we've been made aware, and that's good. But the truth is, is there are going to be a lot of other people that we need to become aware of too. It doesn't have to take a hurricane for us uh, to become aware of this. Philippians 2.4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, to become aware, there might be somebody in my office who needs help. I mean, they're not stranded on a rooftop, but they feel isolated making a decision, and they need somebody to talk to. There's a new family that moved into my neighborhood. Well, they didn't lose everything in a flood, but they left all their friends behind when they moved all the way to Montgomery. Who's going to help them? And we never know what kind of difference we're going to make. It could just be a conversation, and we go, well, I just helped them with conversation. What value is that? And if you talk to that person, that person goes, I was at wit's end. I didn't know what to do, and I had the kindest neighbor in the world. And they came over and prayed with me and just sat with me and talked with me. It was amazing. What if we prayed that God would give us eyes to see needs right around us? Secondly, we can commit to prayer. I mean, one of the big things that we want to do is pray. Um, inside your bulletin, even, uh, there's a, uh, we'll talk about this some more in just a second here, some practical ways you and I can respond to Hurricane Harvey, some places you can donate things, and uh, we'll hit that in just a second. But um, the other thing is, is that how to pray is on the back, how to pray for the people in Texas. Wrote out seven things that I'm praying for, for people. You could go on a, our website or on um, Facebook, our Facebook page at centeringlives.com and you will see um, just a short video doing this and we can pray for that. But um, I just want to point out number one on there to pray for the refugees. Uh, I wrote tens of thousands of people in southeast Texas have been driven from their homes by damaging winds, catastrophic flooding. Many have lost everything they own. Ask God to give them comfort, hope, help, and encouragement. Ask God to provide for them, shield them from fear, and keep them from further harm and loss. And the reason why it's so important, I just want to make this really clear. This is one of the things that we don't understand sometimes, is that when people have been going through problems in their lives and you add a hurricane, it makes it worse. Do you know that people who are going through a divorce before the hurricane hit are still going through the divorce and now they've lost everything too? Did you know that a person who struggles with an addiction and went through Hurricane Harvey is still struggling with the addiction and has lost everything too? Did you know that people who were lonely and depressed before Hurricane Harvey hit are now lonely and depressed and in a storm shelter somewhere? I mean, think about that. I mean, many times people ask me uh, after Christmas, they go, hey, do you love, don't you love Christmas? And I go, I don't know. I mean, my calendar just goes black with appointments. I always leave a lot of slack in there because right at Christmas time, especially with Christmas and New Year's, man, there are people, so many people need to have time with a pastor because it's the same sort of thing. If you're lonely and you don't have any friends, Christmas makes you feel even lonelier. If you have financial problems, Christmas doesn't help. Has anybody ever noticed that? And it's the same sort of thing when a catastrophic thing happens. This is why we pray for people. This is why it's so important to pray for people. Because the storm made all their problems even worse. It's a multiplier. We'll talk about a few more things to pray for in a minute. 
We can commit to pray. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is why we pray. The food will get there. That God will raise up people to talk to people who are lonely. That the supplies will get where they need to get. The government leaders will make good decisions. Oh my goodness, there's so much to pray for. Thirdly, we can show we care. Become aware, commit to prayer, show you care. Oh, John, this rhyming stuff. Yeah, but you'll remember it, okay? Show you care. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what's good. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. Practice When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be ready to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. I mean, we are right back again. We show we care. If you see something, do something. I don't have that much. I can't do that much. Well, it's like I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. This is scalable. I mean, if I can only give $10 to the Red Cross, then give $10 to the Red Cross. And that that matters. Uh, By the way, on the other side of those prayer requests, an organization that we recommend so strongly is SamaritansFirst.org. Franklin Graham heads that up. Uh, Salvation Army is also another good cause. Like I said, the Red Cross is a good cause, but we're featuring Samaritan's Purse here. Samaritan's Purse, this is what it says on their website, what their mission is. After sharing the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus said, go and do likewise. That is the mission of Samaritan's Purse, to follow the example of Christ by helping those in need and proclaiming the hope of the gospel. And that's what they've been doing since 1970. We love this organization. And they've got people with boots on the ground right there. And we're going to be doing work crews that are going to be going to Houston. They're going to be there for weeks and months, maybe years. They told us right now, wait for three weeks. Don't, don't even think of coming down here right now. The mayor of Houston was saying, please don't come down here right now. If there's empty hotel rooms, we need to put our people in them. But we'll be letting you know when work teams come. But you can donate right now, and you can go sign up on a volunteer list if you want there, but we'll be getting work teams organized here. We can show we care. These are real things. These are things we can do. There's places we can drop off stuff. Whole truckloads of stuff is going to go and... Um, That's all there on that handout. And finally, be ready to share. Share what? Hope. Joy. What? After a hurricane? Yeah, let me tell you a couple of things we can remind people of. First of all, we can remind people that stuff doesn't matter. Relationships do. It's on the front of our bulletin. It's all about relationships. Stuff doesn't matter. Relationships do. When you see a $50,000 car underwater, you know, there were people with boats going, oh, you've seen the videos just like I did. You see all the roof of the car. Hey, that car is worthless now. It was worth $50,000 two weeks ago. It's not worth anything now. And you saw people arriving in boats and their families were hugging them. They'd been pulled out of houses and other things. And the people didn't go, oh, man, if I just would have brought my flat screen TV. Nobody said that. They hugged him and they said, oh, I'm just so glad. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many videos I watched on. Praise God, somebody rescued me. Praise God, my family's safe. Praise God, praise God. Whenever we get to a time of crisis, the priorities get shucked down to what's really important, our relationships with God and our relationships with others, which is what Jesus said. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
I mean, that's the answer. And we can share that. We can remind people of, hey, you lost things. But the truth is, the relationships are what matter. And that's why it was so heartwarming to see people care for each other. Even people who'd lost everything else were still helping people who'd lost the same as they had. But they said, it doesn't matter. We're in this together. A second thing we can remind people of is, and we hit this a lot two weeks ago, we talked about why bad things happen, is this world is broken, but the next one isn't. Now that's hope in that. Heaven is real. And sometimes we talk as though heaven doesn't exist and there's just this world. And if bad things happen in this world, oh, well, then God isn't real. No, we talked about this, and you can go back and listen to the whole message. We live in a fallen world, and that's true. But the next world isn't. This is our hope through Christ, not only that our sins are forgiven today, not only that uh, he can fill us with his Holy Spirit and change us from the inside out, but that there is the hope of heaven where we live forever and ever. There will never be any hurricanes, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain ever again. If that's good news, would you say amen? amen. Well, that's another reason why we like Samaritan's Purse so much. Not only do they help people, but they share the good news of Christ. Stuff isn't near as important as relationships. This world is decaying, dying, and broken, but the next one isn't. And our access to that world comes through Christ. Our access to heaven, where there's a new heaven and a new earth, that's all made possible through Jesus. And that's why we tell, it's one of the reasons we tell people about Jesus. I mean, never forget this. We have a message of hope in a time of despair. Things won't always be this way. And though this world is passing away, our hope is not for this world. It's for the next. 1 Peter 3:15, we must worship Christ as Lord of you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. If you're asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. That's our hope. Things don't matter anyway. They're not near as important as a relationship with God and relationships with others. We're looking forward to heaven. But you must do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. And if people speak evil against you, they'd be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Now, two important notes real, finish, real quickly here today before I finish. One, our love for others grows as our love for Christ grows. I mean, if this is what I'm supposed to do, if these are the things I'm supposed to do, well, how do I have the strength to do that? Well, as my love for Christ grows and my relationship with Christ grows, then my love for others grows. May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. And if you'd circle the word overflow, the whole idea is meant that this is an overflow. As I spend time with God and I grow in my relationship with him, he fills my heart with love and joy and peace. He changes my perspective on things, the way I think about things. And now I want to help people, and I find my heart changing. I mean, it's an amazing thing to see people who walk with Christ, even for a short little while sometimes. They go, yeah, I used to think all that stuff was important. And everything I used to think was important, now I, I think it's nothing. Paul said that. But this is meant to be an overflow. I have to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so important that God fills me, because that brings us to the last point because we're commanded to love our neighbors all the time, not just following disasters. Always work enthusiastic for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. The word always appears there. It appeared in 1 Peter 3.15. 
always be ready to explain your Christian hope. It appeared in Romans 12, always be eager to practice hospitality, always. Well, John, how can I always be ready if my roots go down deep into Christ and I draw my hope and my joy from my relationship with him? Well, that can be renewed every day. But if I'm trying to do it on my own strength, I don't know how to spell that one if you're going to write that out, but I'm not going to be able to do it. Neither will you. Praise God, that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit, to transform us from inside out, to give us strength when we don't have it on our own, to give us love for people that we don't even like. It's good news to you this morning. Would you say amen? Okay. So let's review. Why should I care? Because God loved me first. Can we say this together? God loved me first. What does Jesus command us to do? To love our neighbors. Can we say that together? To love our neighbors. If we see something, we need to do something. Four things we can do. Become aware, commit to prayer, show we care, comb our hair. I mean, be ready to share. Who would help if you combed your hair? <laughs> share our hope. Our hope in Jesus. And though this world is passing away, heaven is real. And Jesus has made a way possible for us to live with him forever and ever and ever. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, God, I thank you that you've given us good reasons for our hope. Good reasons. And I pray that we would remind others of these things. Father, I just want to pray for all the people who have been affected by Hurricane Harvey. Lord, if they had an addiction before the hurricane, now they have an addiction and a mess to clean up. If they were grieving the loss of a loved one before the hurricane, they're still in grief. And now they might have no home to go home to. And they might have lost all their photos. So, Lord, the grief is real, and I don't want to minimize the pain. But, Lord, I'm praying that you will send people like the people from Samaritan's Purse. I'm praying for the Christians who live there in that areas affected by the flood and the hurricane. Lord, that you would use them as shining lights of hope and encouragement. I pray that you'd remind us to pray for these people, not just today, but every day. And you'd open our eyes to people who live around the block from us or are three desks over in school. Or maybe they work the next shift. And Lord, when we see people are lonely, we do something about that. We become aware and we pray for them. And Lord, you give us ideas on how we can care. I thank you for Mattress Mac who opened up his showroom and let all kinds of people sleep in all that brand new furniture. And he wasn't worried about the prophets. He was worried about the people. God, I want to be like that. Oh, God, I want to be like that. Every day. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Shelly, what's our closing song? We are the redeemed. We are the redeemed.